Sask Ag Today is brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get you rolling again sooner. Sask Ag Today with Doug Faulkner. Good afternoon and welcome to Sask Ag Today. Coming up on today's program, the governments of Canada and Saskatchewan have announced forecasted payments under the suite of business risk management programs administered by the Saskatchewan Crop Insurance Corporation, otherwise known as SCIC. And the numbers are quite staggering. We'll have them for you. The Global Fertilizer Affordability Index has substantially improved since the beginning of the Russia-Ukraine war. We'll hear from Samuel Taylor, a farm input analyst with Rabobank. And a market analyst expects the steady flow of corn deliveries to southern Alberta feedlots to continue this winter. We'll hear from Mike Jubinville with Markets Farm. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of Saskag Today. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your REMAX Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. With Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. And Phil, we have some cloudy skies here today. Are we finally through with those flurries? Flurries of any significance? Yes. Flurries as a whole, where there could still be something in the air, I'm not ready to completely discount that yet. But uh, anything that does come through the air now at this point is not going to be of any sort of consequence. Uh, the temperatures are going to be pretty close to freezing through the afternoon. Uh, nothing will uh, stick, no new accumulation. Just some stuff in the air, just enough of a light wind with the light flurries to move them around a bit. But uh, yeah, for the most part, most of the time this afternoon, nothing is falling. Temperature right around zero. It has not budged much at all through the day, and it will not budge much at all for the rest of the day. Just one of those uh, pretty steady type days. Uh, in fact, tonight uh, for a while will remain pretty steady as well. And then during the uh, later part of the night, as the cloud cover thins at least a bit, We'll get uh, temperatures to fall off a little more, down to near minus 5. Right toward morning, most, again, most of that drop does occur in the, uh, not even the second half, like the last third, maybe the last quarter of the night. We'll hold near minus 2 until then. During the day, tomorrow, cloud cover mixes with some partial sunshine. The flurry threat should be gone by morning, in fact, early morning. And even then, just like today, anything that falls is of no consequence. Uh, falling, might even be overstating it. Drifts, perhaps, is a better word. Minus two tomorrow with some sunshine breaking through after that early cloud cover. And we'll get a partly cloudy sky tomorrow night. And we're down to uh, minus five for the low. If we can get that sun to break through earlier in the day, we are back to zero. But uh, it's going to be a, a sluggish process. And that's why I'm not uh, completely convinced that we get to the freezing mark. But we are going to at least make a run. We'll crack it on Saturday, one degree with a partly to mostly sunny sky. We'll crack it easily on Sunday. In fact, overnight, we're barely below. We will stay, after being near one uh, during the day on Saturday, we'll likely hold steady through the night near zero, maybe minus one, and then jump up to four degrees during the day 
Part of what's holding us up is the cloud cover, uh, also helped out by a little push of warm air, and that warm air is accompanied by some moisture. I'm not ruling out uh, a few flurries or even sprinkles, depending on the exact timing of it, uh, late Saturday night, early Sunday morning, toward uh, likely within a few hours of sunrise. But through the day, no issues, partly to mostly sunny, 4 degrees, and mostly sunny on Monday. We'll jump up to 6 for the afternoon. That's Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. Temperatures around the region this hour, the Paw and Brandon are at zero. Swan River, Dauphin and Roblin, minus one. Show Lake Russell, minus two. Regina is at minus two. Saskatoon, Indian Head, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington, minus one. Hudson Bay, Broadview, Mooseman, zero. The Yorkton-Melville region has a cloudy sky. A north-northwest wind at 22 kilometers an hour. 87% is the relative humidity. The temperature is zero. Yesterday, Yorkton reached a high of plus one degree and dropped to a low of minus three degrees. There was 1.1 millimeters of water equivalent precipitation that fell in the 24-hour period ending at midnight last night. The normal high for this time of year is minus 1 degree. The normal low is minus 10 degrees. The sun rose in Yorkton at 7.56 this morning and it set at 5.10 this afternoon. Extreme temperatures for Manitoba and Saskatchewan yesterday. The Manitoba hotspot was Melita at plus 3 degrees. The cold spot was Tadouli Lake at minus 13 degrees. The Saskatchewan hotspot yesterday was Val Marie at plus 7 degrees. The cold spot was Uranium City at minus 8 degrees. And that's a look at your agriculture weather. Please stay tuned. Saskag Today will continue right after this. Welcome back to Saskag Today. The governments of Canada and Saskatchewan have announced forecasted payments under the suite of business risk management programs administered by the Saskatchewan Crop Insurance Corporation, or SCIC. With about 30% of the 2023 crop insurance program claim payouts already paid to producers, forecasts indicate that total program payments may reach $1.85 billion dollars. Most producers are eligible for advance payments on claims, allowing money to flow to producers before claims are completely verified. Total crop insurance claim payouts remain a forecast as the deadline for crop insurance customers to report their detailed net production and register a claim is November 15th of 2023. Throughout the growing season, additional supports were announced through SCIC's full suite of business risk management programs. In July, the federal and provincial governments announced a supplemental freight adjustment to support producers who experienced overwinter wildlife damage to their stacked forage. The announcement also included provincial-wide support with changes to the existing prevention program. In August, as dry conditions negatively impacted crop yields, including forage crops, as CIC doubled the low-yield appraisal thresholds, working with producers as they made on-farm decisions to salvage grain crops for livestock feed. 
In September, the federal and provincial governments announced over 90% of insured forage rainfall insurance program acres received a payout for 2023. The total 2023 forage rainfall insurance program indemnity paid was $60 million. Effective for the 2023 program year, the agri-stability compensation rate increased from 70% to 80%, providing a benefit payment of $0.80 for every dollar of decline below the trigger point. Due to this compensation rate increase, producers with an eligible margin decline will receive larger agri-stability benefits. Producers are forecasted to receive $115 million in the form of matching government contributions through the Agri-Invest program in 2023. As of October of this year, Saskatchewan producers collectively have over $1 billion in their individual Agri-Invest accounts. An additional $147 million in federal-provincial support is now flowing through the 2023 Canada-Saskatchewan Feed Program. That was $77 million in federal and $70 million in provincial funding. Producers can submit their applications, review eligibility and additional details online at www.scic.ca. Under the Sustainable Canadian Agriculture Partnership, Producers can access support provided by the governments of Canada and Saskatchewan. Agri-stability protects Canadian producers against large declines in farming income for reasons such as production loss, increased costs, and market conditions. Crop insurance is a federal-provincial producer cost-shared program that helps producers manage production and quality losses. Agri-Recovery is a federal-provincial-territorial disaster relief framework to help agricultural producers with the extraordinary costs associated with recovering from disaster situations. Agri-Recovery initiatives are cost-shared on a 60-40 basis between the federal government and participating provinces or territories. And it's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94, Ag Review. A federal program designed to help Canadian ag products make their way around the world is receiving government support. Agriculture and Agri-Food Minister Lawrence McCauley announced more than $23 million in funding for the Agri-Marketing Program. The program, available through the Sustainable Canadian Agricultural Partnership, supports the ag sector as it works to increase and diversify international exports and take advantage of domestic opportunities. When McCauley became Ag Minister in 2015, Canada's annual ag exports were about $56 billion. In 2022, Canada exported almost $93 billion of agriculture and fish products. The minister made the announcement in Seoul, South Korea, as part of a trip to Asia that included stops in Vietnam and Japan. Representatives from more than 160 organizations, including 17 from the ag sector, also attended the trip. Amid falling crude oil prices, 
Canola prices are staying strong, largely due to the Chicago soy complex. That's according to Errol Anderson of ProMarket Communications, who has been impressed with canola's recent rise. The January contract on ice futures was as low as $672 per metric ton on November 2nd, before rising to a week-long high of $709.50 five days later, and eventually closing at $699.30 yesterday. He says we've gained about $30 per metric ton, and this has really been stimulated by the recovery in soybeans. Anderson notes the beans have also broken a near-term downtrend, so canola has been largely pulled up. The support for canola has been timely, considering crude oil prices have dropped to about $75 U.S. per barrel for West Texas Intermediate and $80 U.S. for Brent due to economic concerns. Avian flu is spreading rapidly through British Columbia poultry farms, including half a dozen diagnosed in commercial flocks this week alone. The fall migration of wild birds is considered the primary cause of infection for BC's commercial and backyard operations. BC's chief veterinarian issued two orders last month to try to stop the disease from spreading, telling farmers to keep their birds indoors and stopping markets and auctions. Since October 20th, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency shows there have been 16 confirmed cases of the highly virulent H5N1 virus. The B.C. Agriculture Ministry says once a positive test is confirmed, the flock is quarantined, culled, and then disposed of. The ministry says farmers need to remain vigilant despite the preventative measures put in place and any sick or dead bird should be reported through the province's wild bird surveillance hotline. A divided U.S. federal appeals court says California cannot require businesses to warn consumers about the potential dangers of glyphosate, an ingredient in Roundup herbicide that has been linked to cancer. Upholding a permanent injunction, the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in San Francisco found it unconstitutional to force Bayer's Monsanto unit, which makes Roundup and other agricultural businesses, to provide California's proposed carcinogen warnings under a state law known as Proposition 65. Bayer called the decision a strong blow against compelled warnings for Roundup that are not supported by science and will be important in the company's ongoing personal injury litigation. California's original warnings linked glyphosate to cancer. A revised warning proposed last year referred to findings in 2015 by the International Agency for Research on Cancer, the France-based Specialized Cancer Agency of the World Health Organization, that glyphosate was probably carcinogenic to humans. There remains little doubt that Brazil's corn second crop will be smaller than initially anticipated. That's according to Dr. Michael Cordonier of Soybean and Corn Advisor Incorporated. He chalked up most of that due to conditions being too dry and too wet for the planting of Brazil's soybean crop depending on the region. Cordonier says the situation in east-central and northeastern Brazil continues to be below normal rainfall and it has slowed down the soybean planting. In southern Brazil, he says it's just the opposite. They've had very heavy rains. Cardonier says they've had unbelievable amounts of rain in September and October. He says there's been a few dry days so far in November, 
but more rain was forecast. And be sure to listen to the latest SaskAg Today podcast. It's brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. And that's today's Ag Review. Please stay tuned. SaskAg Today will continue right after these messages. Future Ford has been serving the Melville area for over 30 years. They focus on the future. Their staff are ready for what's to come. Ford Tech is changing all the time with new vehicle technology like EV, self-driving, and more. Get ready to drive into the future. Why? Because the future is Future Ford. Welcome back to SaskAg Today. I'm Doug Falconer. It's cloudy and zero in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. A market analyst expects the steady flow of corn deliveries to southern Alberta feedlots to continue this winter. Mike Jubinville with Markets Farm says most of the available feed barley in western Canada comes from northeast and east-central Saskatchewan. The extra barley that I see is not a problem of too much barley, it's a problem of where it's located, and it's located in feed surplus areas, away from the main feeding areas of Western Canada. So it's that dislocation between the two and getting that product moved from one location to the other. And for a lot of feeding entities, particularly in southern Alberta, maybe in southern Saskatchewan, it's easier to service domestic needs rather than contracting multiple trucks coming out of, say, northeastern Saskatchewan, where the surplus may be, it's easier to buy uh, railed-in corn from the United States. The logistics seem to work. As far as what corn imports we may see from the United States, it's going to be one of the bigger years for sure, not certainly what, what the drought year was, when we really didn't have barley supply at all, uh, and it required corn to come in to feed the animals. Uh, two, two and a half million tons of corn coming into Western Canada for this marketing year, I think is likely, you know, maybe some of it is going to be more biased towards Saskatchewan than even to Alberta, but we'll see how that plays out. Jubinville says large unit trains of feed barley could help the crop's competitiveness with U.S. corn. In my view, the trade ought to be moving unit tons of, of feed barley from the surplus regions of Western Canada, like, say, uh, northeastern Saskatchewan, to those deficit areas this winter. And that can still generate, you know, offering local specials of, uh, you know, $6 a bushel up there. Uh, you add in the, the cost of shipping and handle and such into southern Alberta, that works out to about three forty dollars a ton. Uh, so it is in the realm of, of being competitive. Whether, you know, we actually see an active campaign like that is uh, something, you know, it's going to be quite interesting to watch as the as the winter season progresses. Feed barley production was 10 million metric tons last year. The latest Statistics Canada estimate is 7.8 million metric tons, which Jubinville believes is a bit too low conversations in the trade with farmers and such maybe that number is eight million tons could be as high as eight and a half million tons that's sort of the ideas in the marketplace right now from an export point of view i think is very limited for a couple of reasons one is a supply availability issue but two million tons i think is probably as much as we may be able to export this year and a lot of that may have been on sales that are already been put in place on the feed side and uh, sort of inelastic malting barley needs internationally. 
but we are running in terms of shipments so far two months into this current marketing year, half the rate that we were last year. China was our largest feed barley market last year, but Canadian feed barley does not make economic sense for Chinese buyers. The extra barley that I see is not a problem of too much barley, it's a problem of where it's located, and it's located in feed surplus areas, away from the main feeding areas of Western Canada. So it's that dislocation between the two and getting that product moved from one location to the other. And for a, a lot of feeding entities, particularly in southern Alberta, maybe in southern Saskatchewan, it's easier to service domestic needs rather than contracting multiple trucks coming out of, say, northeastern Saskatchewan, where the surplus may be. A country like China, who has been an important barley export market for us the past couple of years, we need a lower price in order to get in that environment. And now that the Chinese have uh, made nice with the Australians now and removed their 80% import tariff on Australian barley, the Russian supply going there, even some French barley that's been going into China right now that, you know, I look at today's landed port price for barley into China and back that off to Western Canada, say midpoint Saskatchewan. We would need to be at a price at about five thirty-five a bushel in order to make the numbers work. And so we essentially are very much going to be a domestic market for barley if we're going to maintain prices. Mike Jubinville is a senior analyst with Markets Farm. It's time now for the Livestock Market Conditions, their presentation of Heartland Livestock in Yorkton. Livestock Market Conditions U.S. live cattle futures for December closed at 175.15, that's down 425. February live cattle trading at 175.02, down 445. January feeder cattle trading at 225.67, down 710. March feeder cattle trading at 228.35, down 665. December lean hogs trading at 72.17, that's up 67. February lean hogs trading at 75.67, up 82. And that's the livestock market conditions. Now it's time for the Heartland Livestock Report from Yorkton. Good afternoon. This is the Yorkton Heartland Livestock Market Report for the week of November 8th. The weather this week, not very good to haul cattle, but still managed to get 25.20 in the short, 300 cows and bulls, a total of 28.20 for the day. Cows were 5 lower and bulls were 2 to 3 lower. D1, D2 cows, 128 to 138, sales to 140, 141. D3 cows, 120 to 128. Lots of older, thinner, weaker, and blemished cows showing up, which is a good thing before the cold weather sets in here. These cows are bringing anywhere from 77 to 110. Cows are averaging 123. From that good foam lake area, 1,500-pound cows, they topped out at 150. Good bulls, 142 to 152, sales to 161, 162. Bulls are averaging 148. From our good Melville area here, 2,100-pound exotic bull topped out at 167. A job well done there. On to the pre-sort sale. These feeders were selling under pressure to lower. 420-pound tan steers at 456. 
500 pound black steers at 425, 575 pound steers 395, 650s at 365. My favorite pen, 710 pound black steers 340, the 780s at 330, and 850 pound steers at 324. Onto the heifers, 420 pound red Angus heifers at 378. 500 pound tan heifers 333, the 575 pound heifers at 331, 650s at 318, and 710 pound heifers 287. We had some yearling heifers here, 840, they topped out at 286, and 950 pound heifers at 262. Highlight of the morning a package of red Angus steers, 425 pounds, they topped out at 459, and 54 black heifers, 500 pounds. They topped out at 344. If anyone is interested, last Saturday at Harvest Showdown at the commercial bread heifer sale, the Grand Champion Pen of Three sold for $4,100, and 55 bread heifers averaged 3360. That's it for this week at Heartland Yorkton. Enjoy the Remembrance Day holiday, everyone. I'm Harvey Exner. Have a good day. Welcome back to Saskag today. An analyst with Global Agritrends anticipates stepped-up sow liquidations over the winter as the pork sector works to restore profitability. Brett Stewart explains who Global Agritrends is. Yeah, so uh, we formed Global Agritrends back in 2006, and our whole focus and goal is to provide better analysis, market research, and information on the global agriculture markets. Uh, with a focus on beef, pork, and poultry. And so we do a lot of analysis and forecasting on the global markets. He notes we've seen massive food inflation recently. Yeah, so uh, we're still living a little bit in this post-COVID hangover of, of free and easy money. And, uh, you know, the global stimulus during COVID topped $18 trillion. And so that's an increase in money supply. That increased money supply has flowed through commodities. It's flowed through real estate. And now governments are in a bit of a pinch because there's no good way to reduce inflation. Stewart talks about the impact of inflation on agriculture. Yeah, it's pretty shocking, right? And every farmer sees this every time you go to buy fuel, every time you go to buy fertilizer, feed, whatever it is. Uh, the, the inflation is real. Um, it's, the good news for farmers is when we look at what consumers are spending, they're paying up. And so fortunately, the money's still coming into the industry, but we have some big imbalances right now, particularly like the pork industry. We look at the cost of feed, and uh, it's put severe pressure on our swine sector in North America. He tells us where profitability stands in relation to inflation. Yeah, so if we look at the swine sector today, and the U.S. and Canada are pretty similar, uh, year-to-date losses are around $30 a head, and that's pretty severe. Those are big losses. I would say about $20 of that is feed cost. The other $10 is equipment, fuel, electricity, uh, labor, fill in the blank. Um, the good news is we're going to get a break here in feed costs. We've just harvested a big corn crop in the U.S. Uh, feed costs are coming down, but that's going to take probably four months to work itself through the system. Um, but that still doesn't get us to profitability. We're still stuck in this big inflationary with uh, period with big input costs. And so really when we look at, at profitability, if you look at lean hog futures, 
there isn't a window of profit until we get out to next June, and, and that might only be for two or three months. Stewart goes into the response to restore profitability to the pork sector. Yeah, so in agriculture, we all know high prices fix high prices and low prices fix low prices, but it's a difficult process in the interim. And so the natural, the natural response is we liquidate sows. And those who are least able to survive this downturn liquidate sows. And it's a messy, difficult process. We haven't been doing much liquidation. We've seen a very slight liquidation, but we've also seen a strong uptick in productivity in the sow sector, in the swine sector. And so that productivity is kind of offset what liquidation has occurred thus far. Uh, we definitely will need to see some more liquidation to restore profitability and probably will see a little stronger liquidation over the winter. He predicts when the pork sector will see a return to profitability. Yeah, so there's a lot of moving parts. It's, it's helpful to see the feed costs come down. I don't think we'll ever see labor costs come down. I think labor's a problem with no solution. Um, but we'll get a break in feed costs. We if we can get the herd reduced to the point where we can really go and capture that margin back, uh, that's where we get back to profitability. And I would say we probably don't get to that spot until late 20 or the back half of 2024 and maybe even into 2025. Stewart says this could put pressure on consumers of the product. Yeah, well, consumers are paying up now. I mean, the, the retail price of pork in the U.S. is 35% higher today than it was the five years pre-COVID. So consumers are paying up, um, but they're going to have to pay up more to cover our costs. No industry is going to operate at a loss for long term. And it's no different with airlines or automakers or anyone. We're going to reduce output and we're going to go find margin. And that's the difficult process that we're in in agriculture and really have been in forever. These agriculture markets cycle. There's profits, there's losses, and we're just going through one of those cycles today. And he had these final comments. I think the good news is if we look out in the global markets, I think there's a real opportunity coming up, and I think it's going to be the next decade. Um, if I look around the world today, every major livestock industry is in liquidation worldwide, whether it's Chinese hogs, Australian cattle, Brazilian cattle, North American cattle, uh, poultry, everyone's liquidating at the same time. I've never seen that happen. And so for those who can hang on here and get through this period, I think those tightened supplies are going to be meeting with stronger demand. I think in the hog sector, we're losing a big piece of our biggest competitor, which is Europe. Their swine herds in double digit liquidation right now. And so I think there are some good opportunities ahead. It's just a matter of surviving this current downturn. Brett Stewart is the president of Global AgriTrends. Please stay tuned. Your commodities update is coming up next. Commodities update. Canola futures are trading down across the board this hour. January canola trading at 689.20, down $10.10. March canola trading at 697.90, down $9.10. December Minneapolis wheat trading at 732 and three quarters, down two and three quarters of a cent. December Kansas City wheat trading at 648 per bushel, down seven cents. December Chicago wheat 
trading at 5.80 and a quarter, down 12 cents. December corn trading at 4.68 and a quarter, down seven and three quarters of a cent. January soybeans trading at 13.47 and three quarters, down 18 cents. December oats trading at 3.38 and a quarter, down three and a half cents. And that's the commodities update. The Global Fertilizer Affordability Index has substantially improved since the beginning of the Russia-Ukraine conflict. In the spring of 2022, the index was at its least affordable point since 2008. Since that time, the numbers have turned around in favor of the producer, according to Samuel Taylor, a farm input analyst with Rabobank. But fertilizer prices are still materially lower on a year-over-year basis in the North American market. So on a year-over-year basis, you'd point to ammonia being down 50%. Phosphates are down a little less than that, but they're still down in the low teens. Potash prices being down 44% year-over-year. From a cost structure standpoint, there is some positive elements that you can point to from a grower. The improved fertilizer index should lead to more producer purchases. We see a lot of bounce back in actual demand. I think we're penciling in a 4.85% increase in fertilizer demand volume in the 2024 season as farmers look to replenish their soil and adjust. So for the corporates out there, it's much more of a shift from margin to volume as we look at it. Uh, But we see a positive dynamic across the globe in many of the areas. Taylor talks about price trends for the coming year. And there is still some kind of bias on pricing. It's a little bit more neutral on the potash and the phosphates, which seem a little bit more loose in availability, the supply and demand balance. And it's an upward price bias on the nitrogen. And I think that this is probably a function of the hydrocarbon sphere and the kind of futures prices on natural gas in the European market do point to some risk about uh, where the Europeans sit on the cost curve as well. While the Russia-Ukraine conflict caused an increase in fertilizer prices early last year, Taylor is not sure what is going to happen as Israel invades the Gaza Strip. Israel has some influence in the potash market, accounting for about 7% of global production. As far as we're aware, they are functioning as normal, uh, exporting. I was messaging with the um, the big players in Israel the day of, the day after. Everything still seems to be functioning and flowing. However, within the context of quite a large mobilization, there is the risk, I think, in the future that there could be some disruptions to logistics, to manufacturing, but there's nothing to report of soon. That is just a kind of a scenario which I think we have to factor in. On the phosphate side, they're much less of a significant player. Samuel Taylor is a farm input analyst with Rabobank. His comments come from a webinar in late October. Please stay tuned. SaskAg Today will return right after these messages. Welcome back to SaskAg Today. I'm Doug Falconer. Ag in the Classroom Canada has a new executive director. Mathieu Rouleau grew up on a dairy, cash crop, and maple syrup farm in southwestern Quebec and graduated with a bachelor's degree in agricultural economics, agricultural business, and agronomy 
from McGill University in Montreal. Graduated and uh, became an agronome, so an agronomist in uh, Quebec. And I worked in the finance industry for uh, many years while co-founding the uh, Agriculture in the Classroom Quebec uh, under the name of Ecole au Champ. Uh, over that time, and uh, so I uh, have been involved in the agricultural in the classroom initiatives across uh, Canada uh, since uh, we're a member of Agriculture in the Classroom of Canada in Quebec, and so uh, a lot of the initiatives uh, we do at a provincial scale, now I'm jumping on to uh, bring together all of Canada and all 10 member organizations as we have a really cool country with lots of diversity in agriculture. With that kind of a background, Rouleau says he likes to keep busy and learn new things, which is perfect for the new role. Very important in the role of executive director to be able to uh, have had multiple hats, to be able to get multiple perspectives and also to be able to collaborate with uh, many uh, people. And Agnes Oxford Canada is an organization that collaborates with the industry, with the educators, with our provinces. And so uh, it's very important and I hope to continue to uh, build off of all the existing partnerships and collaborations that we have. His vision for the organization is to be involved in every aspect of the agriculture industry. Well, agriculture in classroom Canada, you go back 30 years, everybody had a link to agriculture because it was your uncle, your grandfather. Well, now today we're like three, four generations removed uh, across country. The population is growing and our food industry needs to uh, produce uh, with a lot more restrictions, big climate change, labor shortage and everything like that. And so my vision for Ag in the Classroom is we have to be part of every uh, aspect of our, we impact the economy, we're building the future labor force. We need to start talking about where food comes from at a very young age. And so with our programming being from K to 12 right now, it's very crucial to have agricultural youth experiences every school year so that they can have that access, but also they can understand a little bit more of all the science and all the work that goes behind it. And so we're 10 organizations representing all the provinces. We're in talk with the territories to be able to really have a complete uh, spectrum. And we're also trying to do that by including uh, diversity, representation, different walks of life so that everybody can see themselves in agriculture, in the food industry, to be able to be part of the one in eight jobs across Canada. And Rouleau takes over from Sarah Shimko, who is the leader of Ag in the Classroom Canada, on an interim basis. Farm Bulletin Board. The Canadian Association of Farm Advisors is having a parkland learning event coming up, and it's uh, on November 29th, Wednesday, November 29th, from 9 until 10.30 in the morning at the Community Futures Ventures office at 204 Smith Street East here in Yorkton. It's to discuss the programs available under the Sustainable Canadian Agriculture Partnership. You must RSVP to Denise at denise at philipchuckmanagement.com by November 26th if you want to take part in that Parkland Learning Event here in Yorkton Wednesday, November 29th from 9 until 10.30 a.m. 
And that's all the time we have for today's Farm Bulletin Board. It's coming up on 1 o'clock. That means it's time to check the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast for the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. Mainly cloudy with a 30% chance of stray flurries. Winds northwest at 15 to 25 and a high of zero. For tonight, cloudy. Winds west-northwest at 10 to 20, a low of minus 5. For tomorrow, a mix of sun and cloud. Winds south-southwest at 10 to 20, a high of minus 2, an overnight low of minus 5. For Remembrance Day Saturday, partly to mainly sunny, a high of plus 1. Sunday, early cloud, then partly to mainly sunny, a high of plus 2. Monday, mainly sunny, a high of plus 6. In the Paw and Brandon, it's 0. Swan River and Dauphin, as well as Roblin, all reporting in at minus 1. Show Lake Russell and Regina are at minus 2. Saskatoon, Indian Head, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington, minus 1. Hudson Bay, Broadview, Mooseman, zero. The Yorkton-Melville region has a cloudy sky, a north-northwest wind at 22 kilometers an hour. 87% is the relative humidity. The temperature is zero. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for Saskag today for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 1215 for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines. Saskag Today has been brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get you rolling again sooner.